you've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Urban Shooter Podcast. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. In the jungle, the quiet Welcome to the Urban Shooter Podcast, the weekly show for law-abiding, fun-loving gun owners of the city. And here's your host, Ken Blanchard. This is episode number 77 of the Urban Shooter Podcast. And yes, I am your host, Ken Blanchard. This is from a 1962 hit, originally written by a Zulu songwriter by the name of Solomon Linda. Didn't know that, did you? And you know it as the song by The Token. But I also am a Lion King's kind of mood right now. I have had one of the best weekends I can remember. I had family come down and come up from all parts of the country. And they had a big cookout at my house. And then we went out to church. And then my aunt preached a dynamite sermon on Sunday. And we fellowshiped after and ate more food. And the church was packed to overflowing capacity. And... Oh, I just feel blessed and happy. Oh, it just feels so good to be alive. I am too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to get disappointed, too gifted to be shifted, and I'm fighting the good fight and staying the course. Thank you for being a member, a friend, and a brother to this crazy man they call the black man with the gun. Episode number 77. In our news, we're going to talk about the D.C. gun law. In our views, introdu- uh, introductory, yeah, an interview with my friend Bob and in our how-tos talk about ammunition just a primer all this and more on your favorite righteous podcast The Urban Shooter I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It is definitely the summertime, and it's hot, I mean, like... Africa hot and people are slowing down and not really doing too much and I'm wondering if you're even listening to this doing any activities like you used to do are you still running are you still at the gym are you just chilling are you just listening to the urban shooter when you drive into work and if so hopefully uh, talk about something on this show this week that entertains you I got some really good emails lately a few people asked me to make my show a little longer and uh few others just said keep it coming 
and all encouragement is good. You know, it's, it is kind of hard sometimes to come up with a different show, especially when we have such um, great complimentary podcasters on the gun rights radio network and you're trying not to overstep their bounds or say something that they already have done. But uh, we're all individuals and none of us will be exactly the same. So even if we cover the same thing, it'd be a little different here in the nation's capital. There has been a lot of talk about this DC gun ban and, uh, Fox News has covered it pretty well. Even the Washington Post has allowed a couple of editorials and somebody sent me um, a link to uh, an article that's in the Post. It's going to make me go upstairs and go grab it off the off the newsstand. Uh, we, we get the Post, so I just got to go find it. Author Stephen Hunter, um, in the name of Dr. Guns, actually was allowed to write some editorials about the right to keep and bear arms and his suggestions for people who wrote in and it's pretty good. Also Rich Heller is uh was one of the first people to step up forward to go and try to register his handguns. But of course um, he found out early that DC hasn't changed his tune and uh, people like me or Adrian Fenty and um, what do you call her? Shadow Senator representative Eleanor Holmes Norton Big Kathy Lanier, chief of police, are no friends of gun owners in the nation's capital. And they're continuing to do whatever they can, talking crazy stuff, to make people think that to, be, to own a firearm is a negative and a no-go, no-starter. So um, we got some work cut out for us. If you're in the nation's capital, if you're in a metropolitan D.C. area, Maryland, Virginia, Baltimore, I got a few suggestions. Now is the time to evangelize even more people are listening just don't overdo it don't overkill it look for those who are seeking answers don't start preaching wait till they ask a question and that's going to be tough when you have all this knowledge you want to talk about idpa shooting you want to talk about um skeet and trap you want to talk about three-point shooting you want to talk about shooting from the hip and which holster you should carry in a 1911 versus whatever slow your roll We are at a point where people are just trying to find out the truth. And first impressions are everything. I got an email suggestion. I think this might have actually been on my forum on my favorite guns or what I would think inexpensive that you should try to find if you're a new gun owner. Here are some that I pick. Um, A Ruger GP100. That would be a revolver. You can't beat that thing. I mean, it's just stable, standard, um, no frills, works when you need it. Also go with the revolvers in Smith & Wesson. That can be a Model 19 or Model 10 or Model 66. The Smith & Wesson revolvers are the mainstay. They worked for police officers for oodles of years before they got all carried away with semi-autos. And you can't go wrong with any of those. Also, If you're going to move into the semi-automatic realm, I am a big fan of the Browning High Power and kind of forgot about it up until last week when I was trying to just basically going back to my roots, going back to when I was really, really good with what I did. And that's what I carry. So I had sold my my high power and I regret it ever since. So now I'm looking either for a clone of one or. Uh, 
standard Browning High Power 9mm. That's what I'm talking about right now. My favorite picks for 9mm would be um, a Glock 9 that fits your hand, whichever model. They have like a gazillion of them. Also try um, Car Arms. That's K-A-H-R. They make a really nice 9mm. It was the one that was in that movie with Jodie Foster. The thing feels like a brick. It's heavy, but um, that's a plus. I think that's the K-frame. And if you have to get a shotgun, go simple. Go with a Remington or Winchester 12-gauge pump. Um, Try not to get a trap gun or some special tricked-out thing with 28 or 30-inch barrel length. Go with as small and legal as you can handle safely. When you're handling a shotgun in your house, remember that you have to navigate this thing through your house. You don't want something that telegraphs a mile before you get around the corner. And unless you are trained in close quarter battle, it'll be a little different. In 22s, um, you can probably pick up a nice 22 Marlin or uh, that's a rifle or in pistol, a buck mark. Look for that or a high standard old school 22. So I gave you a whole handful of stuff and there are other shows that will dwell into them in detail. But those are what I would pick. And if you could write those down and go look, do a little research on them, see what you think, and then get back to me. The biggest part of this is just to give you information to make sure that you are an educated consumer. Um, you can always email me at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a message on my voicemail. It's toll free. 888-772-6262. I get a lot of calls from uh, Puerto Rico and some of the crazy places where they habla uh, espanol. I think my number is also an auto dealership somewhere, but uh, that'll work itself out eventually, especially when I'm not fixing anybody's cars anytime soon. How's your summer going? We're like into July and I was almost August. So uh, things are either going really well for you or they're not. I'd like to know. I like when you tell me stuff about um, your family, your vacation, even the non-gun stuff, because I'm your friend and this stuff matters to me. I can go, oh, so-and-so is doing this in Utah or so-and-so is doing this in Washington State. Or my friend in New York State is doing this. You know, you think it's nothing. But I'm more than just a voice between the earbuds. I'm your friend and I'm here whenever you need me. And especially if you have a question um, that you think I can answer. If I can't, I'll tell you. And if I can, I'll find the answer for you one way or another. Coming up next is an interview with Bob. But before we get to that, let's talk about this D.C. history with the gun thing. All right. Believe it or not, I never was one on history. I thought it's nice to know. Um, it makes you sound smart, but uh, it's boring. But as I start to geese and get a little older, I realize that unless you know your own history, you will repeat the same mistakes of your past. And uh, while I'm still living, breathing, and kicking, I want you to know there is some stuff about this gun control thing that unless you know where you've been, 
you won't know you've been going for the okie doke a second time around. Looking back at the history of gun control in general, I always go back way, way, way back to the racist roots of gun control. But how about if we just start that Gun Control Act of 1968, otherwise known as the GCA? And if you believe it or not, most of the Gun Control Act laws are still in effect and they haven't been revised or changed and they keep getting added or reiterated or reiterated over and over again. And I give an example in the new D.C. gun thing where everybody's trying to find a new way to register firearms and to prohibit D.C. residents from being able to protect themselves. What they are actually doing is just restating the Gun Control Act of 1968's provisions. And here are some of them. See if you don't see if they don't sound familiar to you. Number one, anyone who is under the age of 18, except with written permission of their parent or guardian, is prohibited to own a firearm. Anyone who has been convicted of a federal court or in a federal court of a crime punishable by imprisonment for a term exceeding one year, including crimes of imprisonment that are related to the regulation of business practices, cannot own a gun. And all of these will be prohibited from owning a firearm. Anyone who has been convicted in a state court of a crime punishable by imprisonment for a term exceeding two years, excluding crimes of imprisonment that are related to the regulation of business practices. And that almost sounds in backwards from what I just said. But guess what? It's the law. Anyone who is a fugitive from justice is prohibited from owning a firearm. Anyone who is unlawful user or addicted to any controlled substance is prohibited from owning a gun already since 1968. Anyone who has been adjudicated as a mental defective or has been committed to a mental institution. Again, prohibited to own a firearm. This is not a new thing. This was written in 1968. Any alien illegally or unlawfully in the United States or an alien admitted to the United States under a non-immigrant visa is unable to legally own a firearm. Anyone, anyone, anyone who, having been a citizen of the United States, has renounced his or her citizenship is unable to legally own a firearm. Anyone who has been discharged from the U.S. Armed Forces under dishonorable conditions is prohibited from owning a firearm. That just makes sense, right? I know. Anyone that is subject to a court order that restrains the person from harassing, stalking, or threaten an intimate partner or child of such intimate partner is prohibited from owning a firearm. A person who is under indictment or information for a crime punishable by imprisonment for a term exceeding one year cannot lawfully receive a firearm. Such person may continue to lawfully possess firearms obtained prior to the indictment or information. All of that from 1968. Now, in 1993, the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act created a national background check to prevent firearm sales to such prohibited persons. It's kind of like saying, we're going to make a law that the sky is blue. Yay, we got a law passed, but we changed nothing. We say to the obvious, and that is what they do still. Do you know that the FFL was created, that whole thing, um, prior to 1968? The Gun Control Act mandated the licenses of individual and companies engaged in the business of selling firearms. This provision 
effectively prohibit direct mail order of firearms, except antique firearms, by consumers and mandated that anyone who wants to buy a gun from a source other than a private individual must do so through a federally licensed firearms dealer. The act also banned unlicensed individuals from acquiring handguns outside their state of residence. The interstate purchase of long guns, i.e. rifles and shotguns, was not impeded by the act so long as the seller is federally licensed and such a sale is allowed by both the state of purchase and the state of residence. See, nothing's changed. Now let's roll into the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., Chocolate City, the nation's capital. June 1976, 18 months after Congress established home rule for the district, the D.C. Council votes 12 to 1 in favor of a bill restricting city residents from acquiring handguns. The law exempts guards, police officers, and owners who had registered their guns prior. Under this bill, all firearms, including rifles and shotguns, which were not restricted by the law, must be kept unloaded and disassembled, except those in business establishments. September 1976. Attempts in Congress to block the district law fail, clearing the way for it to go into effect. March 1977. Three buildings were seized by 12 African-American gunmen, known as the Hanafi Muslims. They were held responsible for taking 149 hostages and killing two people. After a 39-hour standoff, all hostages were released from the district building or city hall, now called the John A. Wilson building. And in it, former Mayor Marion Barry was shot. July 1977. The D.C. Council exempts private security firms from the gun bill and removes a requirement that gun owners take vision and gun law test. June 1999. A House bill carrying an amendment that would have allowed law-abiding citizens to own and carry guns in the district is defeated. February 2003. Six D.C. residents sue the city in a case known as Parker versus the District of Columbia, arguing that the gun law illegally prevents them from keeping guns in their homes. Yes, this is my friend Shelley Parker. April 2003. Five other D.C. residents, including longtime activist Sandra Seegers. She was a kind of like a homeowners association president in her district, in her little area, neighborhood. They call it the ANC in D.C. She filed a separate suit, Seegers versus Ashcroft, against the federal and city governments, saying they have no right to bear arms, or that they have a right to bear arms. July 2003, Senator Orrin G. Hatch, Republican from Utah, introduces a measure to end the district's ban on carrying handguns and keeping them in the home. The legislation would also ease registration requirements for firearms and ammunition. It, the bill, dies in committee. January 2004, U.S. District Judge Reggie B. Walton dismisses Ms. Seeger's suit. That she has no grounds for her claims. March 2004. U.S. District Judge M. G. Sullivan dismisses Shelley's suit. September 2004. 
The House votes to the, the House votes 250 to 171 to roll back most of the district's gun laws. But the Senate fails to take up the measure before Congress recesses. February 2005. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit upholds the ruling against Seegers, finding that she and other plaintiffs lack legal standing. November 2005. Congress approves the district's 2006 budget, leaving out a provision that would have prevented the city from enforcing the requirements that guns in a home be kept unloaded and disassembled. The House, for a second year in a row, votes overwhelmingly in favor of the restriction, but the language is removed in conference before the final passage. March 2007. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit overturns Walton's decision in the Parker case, finding that one of the plaintiffs has legal standing because he applied for and was denied a registration certificate to own a handgun. The court finds the D.C. law illegally bars guns in homes. Mayor Adrian M. Fenty says the city will appeal. Bringing us up to 2008, June 26, the U.S. Supreme Court overturns D.C.'s gun ban. And now, what's going on? Rich Heller, the man who brought the lawsuit against the district's 32-year-old ban, was one of the first in line Thursday morning, just passed, to apply for a handgun permit. The thing, one of the smart things that Rich did, though, is he didn't actually bring his firearm into the city. They made the law so crazy that they said that there's a 180-day amnesty that you can bring your weapons in to register them. But if you're in a city that doesn't allow you to have a handgun and that they were going to take your handgun and do a ballistics test um, before they issued you in his registration, in effect, they were confiscating. They were taking your firearm from you. So Rich was smart enough not to bring his firearm um, into the building. None of this stuff that they've implemented is in writing. They have put out uh, three pieces of paper. I have the uh, PDF forms. Um, I'll attach them to our show notes for you. But it's been crazy. And when he first tried to register his semi-automatic weapon, uh, they said it was rejected, basically, because it's semi-automatic. D.C. claims that all semi-automatics are machine guns. And they're not going to allow anybody to have them. In the District of Columbia, for example, when I was um, a trainer of security guards, and that's a long story, too, but basically I I quit that job, started my own little company to qualify D.C. security officers, but I found out that they didn't want to be qualified and I don't lower my standards or just pass anybody because they pay for a class. So I had to part ways with that. But um, the armed people are only allowed to have revolvers. So right now, as of, you know, this week, everything's always in flux. There is just one licensed federal firearms dealer in the District of Columbia and he had a I think a curios and relics license and he had permission to sell to law enforcement only and he's trying to get his paperwork changed so he can do transfers for DC residents because he's like the only person on the grounds right now for the whole city but he has to go through the Bureau of Alcohol Tobacco Firearms and Explosives and they are not rushing his thing if you know anything about the federal government this is a slow period for us it is a, um, it's the summer. There are people on leave. There are people who don't want to work. You got sick leave and annual leave. 
and meetings that go on ad nauseum. In a basically between Monday and Friday, you get at least one day's work out of a government worker. And that's why there's so many contractors in the government in D.C. Ouch. Somebody's going to be mad at that one. But I just threw that jab in there. Now that I am no longer a staff employee and now a uh, Beltway Bandit, they call. But that is all the news that's fit to print. Details to come on what's happening in D.C. But now at least you know the history. And it's all based on the Gun Control Act of 1968. No changes to anything. And most of the issues reflect what's happened in 68 and in 77. Black Man with a Gun by Ken Blanchard is a 148-page book with pictures showing the right way and wrong way to do things, different guns and techniques, and a great primer for new shooters, an icebreaker for the experienced shooter, and a tool for the activist. Black Man with a Gun is a book that easily explains and inspires. With the humor of the most audacious African-American in support of the right to keep and bear arms, Ken Blanchard. Ken Blanchard is a former U.S. Marine, federal firearms instructor, private investigator, counterterrorist, public speaker, and web personality. Ken has been featured in two documentaries, Fox News, the BBC, the Washington Business Journal, Washington Times, Wall Street Journal, and now with his new podcast, The Urban Shooter on iTunes. In the book, you'll find a letter to my sisters, buying a firearm, the racist roots of gun control, the NRA, your rights, the police, religion, and guns. Get your autographed copy today by visiting blackmanwithagun.com or by calling 888-772-6262. Get your copy now. You know, one of the words that you learn in um, Spanish or Portuguese and any Latin language, I believe, for love is amo or amo. And uh, it's basically ammo if you think about it. Let's talk about ammunition for a second. What is it? And this is not going to be an exhaustive primer on ammunition. You can find out better information in any of the NRA training publications. And you can also get it firsthand from those that teach. But this is just something for those who might have straggled into the podcast and just said, hey, I didn't know that. Well, see, ammunition that is used in a rifle or a pistol is generally called a cartridge. Ammunition used in a shotgun is usually called a shell. They may look different, but they are just about the same. Each contains powder, primer, and a bullet or shot assembled in a case. The power of a bullet's explosion drives the projectile from the firearm. Gunpowder burns quickly, almost instantly, and as it burns, it turns to gas, which creates a great pressure inside that case. The pressure must be released. It is released and it pushes that bullet or shot out of the barrel of the firearm that you have, driving it ahead at great speed. Now, the primer is that substance, that thing that is used to light the powder. Usually when you have an explosion or an explosive charge, there's two. There's like a primary charge, primer, and the accelerant and the propellant and all that good stuff. The primer is the thing that actually gets hit by the firearm, the firearm pin, the striking, what's, you know, whatever, how the gun is made. That's what does it. That's what sets off the charge here, the percussion cap. That small explosion acts like a match to light the powder. The primer is usually contained in a small metal cap that fits in the center of a cartridge case. 
This is called centerfire ammunition. All military big game rifles and all shotgun shells are centerfire ammunition. The other ammunition that's most commonly used in what we do in small arms is called rimfire. And a good example of that is the 22 caliber. When you look at that 22 versus a nine millimeter or 38 um, cartridge, you'll see that there is no primer, no circle is just flat on a 22. That's a rim fire. In this case, the primer is located in the rim as the name implies. Shotgun shells come into two different general types, shot and slug. The shot shell holds a shot charge or a number of projectiles like BBs and the size of each projectile individually and the number enclosed depend on the load type. The projectiles are held in a shot cup and surrounded by a matrix of granulated filler, usually plastic, that helps hold the projectile's position in the shot cup that helps hold the plastic shot cup travels up out of the barrel holding the projectiles in it, protecting both barrel and projectiles. Once outside the barrel, the plastic shot cup falls away as the projectiles continue downrange. A wad can be used to separate powder and projectiles instead of a shot cup. This is all from a shotgun. The slug type holds one projectile or slug, which is generally one ounce, but can range from seven eighths to one and a quarter ounce in weight. Slugs usually look like large fat lead bullets with rifling or like grooves on the rear three fourths of their length. They fit into a shotgun's bore diameter, just like a pistol bullet fits into a pistol's barrel. When fired, even Though through a shotgun's bore is smooth, the slug's imprinted rifling adds some spin to it. It's kind of like that football. You look at a football, it's not really shaped like it should be thrown. But if you put a spin to it, then you can control it and arc it and make it go the distance. You always see the difference between somebody who knows how to throw a football and somebody who doesn't. If you are a professional quarterback, they can hurl that thing like a bullet because they know how to spin it and how to throw it correctly. Slugs can also come in a round ball variety, sometimes referred to as a pumpkin ball. Now, ammunition comes in a whole bunch of shapes and designs, and uh, it's a whole art to it all by itself. Handgun ammunition is not interchangeable. There is ammunition that can be used in revolvers and not in autoloaders. Some autoloader ammunition cannot be chambered in all autoloaders. Modern bullets for auto-loading handguns, almost always do not have exposed lead at the bullet's nose since lead is a soft material and liable to cause the round to incorrectly feed in the weapon. See, feeding is an important function in the cycle of operation of a semi-auto. You need that stuff. They're usually jacketed. That's when they're covered with that copper-colored thing. That isn't the norm. The norm is just to have a gray bullet exposed. But you usually see that in revolvers, not in semi-automatic ammunition. So that jacketed thing is the copper. And you've heard that before, full metal jacket. It means it's a lead bullet has been covered by this copper thing. And there are two, pers- two purposes for jacketed bullets. One is to have to protect the projectile hard enough to resist the stresses of firing at high pressures but will still expand upon target impact. And the second is to have an even harder bullet that will not expand at all. It's a real science to making firearms, 
uh, shooting them and the bullets that are used for each. Everything has a purpose. The weight of a bullet is labeled as its grain weight and is usually expressed in decimals. Contrary to what you might think of the system used to number these rounds, the smaller the number, the faster the round. Knowing the weight of the bullet you use is really important. If you're shooting a 45 caliber Colt autoloader for plinking, you might not want the hottest load on the market. It would tire you out, and the recoil would be so great that you couldn't regain your sight picture fast enough to accurately shoot your next shot. So what I'm saying is, if you buy, you have a 45 that you got from your uncle and you found one in the magazine that you just love and you went out and bought it, all bullets not created equal. You can buy five, six different types of 45 ammunition and depending upon the grain weight, the make of the bullet, they're all fired differently. And if you get a, a, a loud, not a loud, but a, a box of ammo that shoots hot or is more powerful than the other, it'll wear you out. You can make your own self uh, wore out by what you shoot. You can get subsonic, uh, slower, um, less recoil with the same caliber that you shoot. So all ammunition is not created equal. And there's quite a lot of things that control um, a bullet. The design of the projectile, the powder weight or grain, the caliber, and the barrel length of the firearm that shoots it. So knowing the weight of the bullet you use is really important. This is just a little bit of stuff for those who haven't paid much attention to it. You just kind of buy a box of ammo. All bullets, all ammunition is not created equal. This is your how-to tip for this week. And I'll talk to you about something else on the next show. Next up is an interview with a good friend and somebody who's just like you. Another shooter, another listener of the Urban Shooter Podcast that had an idea for a few things and just wanted to mull over a few things. So we talked and hopefully... It inspires you to get your thinking cap on. Let's hit Bob. Bob, welcome to the Urban Shooter Podcast. Thank you. Man, you're a longtime shooter, experienced, right? Yeah, I've been shooting mm, a long time. Yeah, I guess uh, 30, 30 years off and on, mostly in the last 20 years of a lot. What's I, uh, I belong to a uh, rifle club here in central Virginia, and I shoot. IDPA and I shoot high core revolver shooting and then I shoot skeet and trap and five stands and plank. That pretty much puts you in the experienced shooter category. Well, yes, I just can't hit enough of those clay birds, though, but other than that, we do all right. As an experienced shooter with all that's going on in the city, what do you see as one of our most important issues for gun rights activists? Having the next generation come on and following up with us because what will happen if we don't now that we've won Heller and if we don't get the next generation to be want want to get into this they they will have won anyhow by by apathy or indifference we will lose if people don't learn to learn the fun of it all they and and those kind of things so apathy is the enemy oh absolutely for people who live in a city who've never for 32 years haven't been able to legally own a firearm what, what do we do to them? 
I would think there's a program that the National Shooting Sports Federation has, NSSF, and if you go to their website, it's nssf.org, and there's a program called First Shot, and they will help. They need You need teachers, and you need certified teachers, but they will help the teachers get on and get the program, and they will help with the advertising, radio, and print to get them in, people interested in, in a place like Washington and go on to the next step. So we need more instructors, more people to step forward and find ways to talk to the people that they know. Absolutely. And, and to get the, and particularly in a place like Washington where no one has legally shot a skeet, trap, uh, 22 pistol, bullseye, anything in 36 years. Yeah. It, that needs to, to get out and spread the word, so to speak. In IDPA, what's that exactly? That's the International Defensive Pistol Association, and it's it's a competition. It's it's real life scenario more or less uh, with with handguns, and you could use it's no specific handgun. You can use whatever you would have in your house, particularly new people in Washington, and but any gun will work, and you don't need a, an expensive race gun like you need in some of the other sports. Or but any any off off the shelf gun will work. And competition is good for just about anybody, or you have to wait a while before you get there? I would know. With IDPA, there are all sorts of levels, and the people are very, very patient with you. If you come down and you to learn it, yes, there's, uh, the safety is, is by far the most important thing. If you are safe with the gun and you listen to the commands from the ranger officer, they don't care whether you're fast, whether you're hit, or anything else, because that will come with practice. And if you have one of these competitions a month, it doesn't matter whether you hit anything. You, if you like it and you, and you want to come back next month, that's that's what they want you to be able to do. Okay. So as an experienced gun owner, you're asking us to reach out and reach somebody else to pass this on so that it doesn't die. Spread the word, so to speak. Yeah. It's um, And stop maybe preaching to the choir and actually go out into the streets and to those people who have been waiting for somebody. Now's yeah. a good time. It's pretty ripe right now, right? Well, you, you think about Washington. There are—that's the one that, that keeps coming back to me in my mind. All these people up there who would love to learn. Now, I understand this week there were only a few people that have applied for their permits up there. But how many of them would want them? And they just don't know where to go, how to go about it. And you know, it's unfortunate the way the government up there has tried to dissuade people from doing this. But others would would like to know this, but. Where did they go? They just don't know where to go to do this. Yeah, we're going to try to make that happen. I bet you we could. On a, on a side note, you know, there are people who have been in, in this gun culture for a while and their families uh, have amassed maybe small groups of firearms, different types. Um, maybe we should start thinking also of who we're going to will our guns to or what path they're going to take after we expire or retire. Uh, you know, that, that's something else that people need to think about. I, I have a cousin that lives up in New York, and New York being as restrictive as they are, they've got a card for the, all your guns are listed on a card and everything. And if you don't have anybody to pass this on to the estate with, what happens to these? Here, I live in Virginia, here, yes, I could, you can will them to this, that, or the other person, but it's a, it's a, a procedure, and I think the government's, New York, Washington, have all set these things up to make it 
intentionally difficult to pass on illegal illegal object. They wouldn't do that if you had a fishing pole. That's true. So it's going to be on each one of us that is right now in the gun culture that owns a firearm to consciously plan who our firearms are going to go to in the future. Who our firearms are going to go to, that's exactly it. And and I think before we before we all go to the next world, I think we ought to be able to say to someone else, take take someone else out to shoot. So you got two things. One, each one, reach one and teach one, and also find a path to pass on your legacy too. That, that's right. That, that's exactly right. Now, I mean, most of us are not going to be able to have the kind of guns that go into the NRA museum where people will turn around and send off a whole collection. I Certainly the guns that I have are not, are not that caliber. But what will happen to them? Hopefully your children, they will take care of them, and they will take care of them and respect them the same way that you respect your own guns today. Man, that's some good stuff, Bob. I appreciate that, man, and thank you for coming on the Urban Shooter Podcast. Happy to do it. Good luck to you, Ken. Thank you, man. It's been a heck of a week, and I'm glad you're listening. Thanks again for joining me on the Urban Shooter Podcast. Don't forget to drop me a line, even if it's only just a few words. And I also have a Twitter account. That's twitter.com. If you care to see what the heck I'm doing in my little world, that's Ken Blanchard, and you'll find me there. Also, um, I need to talk to a few people around the country to see what's going on. I know everybody's interested in learning what's happening in D.C., but the events are still unfolding. Unfolding? Uh, Evolving. Now I got a bout of uh, Ebonics that just won't go away right now. It'll be all right after a while, I guess. As long as Jesse Jackson doesn't call me the N-word. You know, things are just kind of wild right now. But the summer is in full effect. Hopefully, you're getting some beach time, some pool time, some sun time. You're taking time to smell the flowers and sip the coffee and enjoy life. It's all about living. Don't get too hung up that you forget to smell the, the flowers. That's uh, got nothing to do with gun rights, but that's just from one friend to another, your brother from a different mother. I want to make sure that you're okay wherever you are. If you got a complaint, got a gripe, you got something that you just want to talk about, hit me offline. Blackmanwithagunandgmail.com doesn't have to be gun related. I'm your friend and I'm here. I do have a uh, MySpace page. Um, why? I don't know. Um, there's, I do get like a new friend probably every week, but that's on uh, Urban Shooter on MySpace. And what else? We covered a little bit about the history of DC gun rules. There is more stuff. I'm going to put on the three pages that you need in the city. Just to show you how crazy stuff is, it'll be in a uh, PDF format if you can download that. And you'll find that on urbanshooterpodcast.com. That's the show notes. Please leave your comments, as always, on the forums of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Don't know what that is? Man, you're missing out. We have almost 10 podcasters, and uh, they're all varying subjects, all related to the right to keep and bear arms. And, uh, it's kind of nice, but you'll find my form at the very bottom of the page. It's in alphabetical order and urban shooter down in the low rent district. Help a brother out. Spend a few time, a few minutes there. 
look and uh, leave your messages, your quotes. Check out a couple of questions I asked, a poll here and there. This show talked about uh, about ammo. If you have some in-depth knowledge about ammunition and want to talk to it, talk to it about it and share some information with others, um, you can call me at 888-772-6262 and uh, we can get an interview together and talk about it. Thanks again to Bob for inspiring us to go out and beat the bushes again. And just stay tuned. Lots going on in the world. On a good note, uh, I'm talking about Ebonics again. On my statistics, I have close to 500. That's 100, not 100, but 500 listeners on a regular basis. So, and there might be like more than you have on your podcast or maybe really small. But to me, 500 is a good number. If I were to book a conference room and try to get 500 people of my closest friends that thought like me, that wanted to hear me speak, a 500 room meeting room would be a nice group. So if I got 500 people located around the world that are listening to this show, I'm happy. Someday, maybe 502. But until then, this is your friend and brother from a different mother wishing you a very safe summer. And you know what? I think I'm in the mood for something silky. Yeah, most definitely. Let's do it. If you haven't heard the uh, gun rights radio meeting thing that we do every once in a while, you'll understand about that silky comment. But, uh, I'll just keep that to myself unless you ask. All right. Until next week. Peace. If you don't arm yourself, you harm yourself. shooter then send Ken an email at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com do you want to support the show and start something new you can become a member of the new urban shooter association for four dollars a month and keep the mission going strong look for the usa link on the website What's a dazzling urbanite like you doing in a rustic setting like this?